Welcome, everyone. This is Adam Coleman. With me today, I have Steve Taylor, who is a certified financial planner with Merited Wealth out of Miami. We're going to talk more about college savings options and student loans so that parents have a little bit better idea of what options they have if they wanted to help their kids with college expenses. So, Steve, thanks for being here. Thanks a lot, Adam. I'm really excited to be a part of this, and thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Well, jumping right in, can you give us a little bit of an overview on the different types of vehicles that people can think about when they're dealing with college savings? Yeah, so the college savings challenges or the thoughts will pretty much spring up right away when any couple has a child. That becomes a high priority. They start looking at their different life insurances. They are looking at estate planning and different items. And really at the forefront of all these, not only college, but it becomes kind of grade school and beyond, right? So I know with my family and my wife, when we started looking for a home, right, are we in a good school district? Do we believe we should go public school or private school? I think that really is a good place to somewhat start the whole process of thinking about college planning or really education planning is really what route do you want to go down? What do you think is the choices that you want to make? Because whether you're really focused, I call it a private school route or a public school route, those choices really require many different actions on your part to go down there. Real simply, if you start thinking about private school, that's fine. That's great, right? But you're going to be responsible for those funds and the payment of that education. So you really have to devote a lot more of your income towards that versus if you think more like the public school route, you're like, okay, so we believe in the public school system in our local district, it's kind of paid for us. We don't have to put as many assets towards that. So really starting out, when you start looking at the different options to save for college, the number one option most people think about is a 529 plan. And 529 plans come in a couple different flavors. There is the 529 savings plan where you put money in, it's invested, market goes up, market goes down, you get what you get. Then you have the prepaid plans, which are the public, and not all states offer this. So the prepaid, it's a state that you go to, and you have to be a resident of that state and go to a college in that state. And that's a nice option. And there's another 529 option that I just recently did a podcast on was a private college 529 option. That's really unique. Something that's been around for a while, but it's a unique option where you pretty much purchase credits towards participating institutions for future college tuition. So 529 is really the biggest one. There are some other vehicles. There's what's called a Coverdale savings account. It really limits the amount that you can put in there. And there's right. income limits on whether you can contribute or not. And then what a lot of people don't think about is that a parent's retirement account can be used towards college expenses. So if you are able to contribute to a Roth IRA, that looks and sounds a lot like a 529 plan. So that's a good option. And then there's also just general savings. And some people, many times people are sold on this idea of a life insurance policy being a savings vehicle for different items. And many times they sell it on college. Personally, I don't believe that's a good strategy. I believe your life insurance and your savings should be separate. So I don't typically recommend those. So that's not a part of the college discussion. That's part of the insurance discussion, but those are your main options for saving for college. So you're basically talking about to permanent insurance salesman that's pushing the cash value policy and then using mm -hmm. that cash value for college spending. Is that the idea? Yes, exactly. Okay. You mentioned a few different options. So the, the Coverdell, obviously the limits on how much you can contribute, the income limits, I guess if they can do that, would you 
prioritize that over a 529 in any way? Or are there any pros to that versus a regular 529 savings plan, for example? Yeah. Yeah, it's a good question. So in the past, the Coverdell, the distinct advantage was that you can use those funds for pre-college expenses. The Coverdell allowed that. But in, I believe it was 2017, the law changed on that. So everybody out of a 529 account, you can use up to $10,000 per year per student for pre-college expenses. So if, if that's a choice you want to make with your 529, you can use that for pre-college expenses. Now, the real benefit of the 529 is that if used for qualified higher education expenses, you get tax-free growth in that account. So the sooner you start and start contributing there, then you may have some nice growth within there. So you may want to use that for pre-college. Typically, people only think college. But if you're starting right away and you fund those when the children are really young, it becomes an option for, for pre-college as well. Gotcha. No, that helps quite a bit. You mentioned some of the savings plans. I guess you're talking about like the UTMAs and UGM accounts, things like that, or are you just talking about just basic savings accounts? Typically, when I recommend if someone's going to go beyond their retirement account, beyond the 529, any of those qualified accounts, we don't normally recommend that they put assets into the children's names. because It could be very problematic as you get older. They're subject to a different tax rate. When the child becomes 18, the assets become theirs. So the general, the non-qualified, we'll call them the 529 and the retirement accounts, I'd recommend that the parents just set up those accounts in their own name. And we could talk further when you start going in and applying for college and looking for financial aid. Really, you want to have a minimal amount of assets in your child's name. But those are the accounts that I'm talking about. I hardly ever do we recommend UGMAs or UTMAs for children. I've seen some families, and I've done it myself, like little gifts that are given for the children. And they're saying, oh, well, I want this to be the children's money. That's fine. But no really substantial planning should be done in those accounts. And you spoke to something that I was going to bring up later, but I think this is probably a good segue into it. So a lot of concern or confusion related to the college savings accounts are that for financial aid purposes, I think that's what you're referring to is basically mm -hmm. when you fill out the, the FAFSA or whatever the form is called nowadays, you have to decide here are the assets that are in the child's name, here are the assets that are in the parent's name, who's contributing what. And the idea is that more money you have in the child's name, they get hit harder to where they don't have as much access to financial aid. Is that fair to say? Yes. Yes. That's, that's kind of how it works. Okay. And then the idea of the 529 is it's in the parent's name officially. So it's viewed more favorably than some of these other savings accounts that are in the child's name. Correct. Yeah. And so I'll say a little bit about towards that. When we talk about whether financial aid and qualifying for financial aid, the number one thing they look at the most important thing more than assets is income. Okay. So if you're going into that college discussion, and quite honestly, if your joint income, your adjusted gross income with your spouse, if you're upwards and over about $130,000, $140,000 a year, by all metrics, you're not going to qualify for needs-based financial aid. Okay. Right. So now if you're lower than that, there's different opportunities. So income is the biggest concern. After that, you go to assets. And so some of the assets real quickly, like parents' retirement accounts are not included into that calculation. So that's a nice opportunity there where we talk about the retirement accounts being used as an asset. But the 529s that are set up, 
only about 5% of the value of that 529 is put into the calculation when they look at your assets to see what's available to pay for college. So it's not used that much, whereas opposed that even if the 529 was put in the child's name, where the child was the owner, there are UTMA 529 accounts, about 20% of the value of that is counted towards it. So when you're going through this process, if you may be close to qualifying, you do not want assets in the children's name. Gotcha. Okay. Now, does any of that impact student loans at all? So no, no. Student loans are not needs-based, right? It's whether you qualify. And that's a really interesting thing when you go through the college application process. Schools, they present you with an aid package, right? They say you qualify for this, maybe you'll get some grants or you'll get some scholarships. And they put loans in that list as an aid, right? And it's not aid because you have to pay that back. They're not necessarily doing you any favors. So as you go through the loan, there is a limitation on the amount of federal loans that you can qualify any one year. Don't quote me, but I believe it might be six to $8,000 a year for that. And then when you start getting to these circumstances, when many people have loans well above those numbers, right? Then you're going into the private loan sector, which is a very challenging area because there's no underwriting involved. There's very minimal counseling on there. So people are taking out substantial loans and they really had not thought about the long-term impact of paying those back. No, and that's a great topic as well that we're going to run through in a second. So just to rehash, so if married couple making roughly 130000 or more, you said, none of this really plays into it to where they don't have to consider as much of, all right, is it in the child's name? Is it the parent's name? 529 versus some other plan. The financial aid piece isn't really impacted much for those people. It's really for the people that are making less than that, that maybe that becomes a consideration, right? Correct. Okay. Correct. That's good. That's good information. So I guess let's jump into the student loan piece because I think that's a good topic. And I don't think it's something that people bring up nearly enough. And I'm curious to see what a financial planner's take on this would be. Do you have a general rule of thumb or guideline that you see when you're talking to people of, right, here's an acceptable amount of student loans based on what you think your future income is going to be based on what your major is? Is there a conversation that is had there with your clients related to that? Yeah. So let me step back a second on that, on the loans and the savings and how I advise clients. And we go through this. If someone comes in and they have good assets, they've saved good money, they have good income, whatever it might be. If they're able to pay out of their income or their assets uh, somewhat easily for their child's education, whether it be a private high school, private elementary school, private college, then by all means, if that's a priority to you, you should do it, right? That's simply a choice of how you're making to allocate your funds, and that's great. The real tricky and problematic part comes is when you are looking to borrow money that you don't have to use towards this education to say, to your point, right? What's the return of investment on this? What's the value of this? Because the people get so emotional and the families and the children get so emotional. Oh, but I want to go to this dream school or whatever this might be. And all of a sudden loans are rip roaring out of it where people are just thinking, hey, I go to you know well-known university. That's going to make all the difference in my life. Really? Does it? Are, are you getting a better education, right? If you want to become a teacher or something, a public servant, is that really the best use of your money? So to go to your question, the best rule of thumb that I've seen that when you're budgeting and you're deciding to go through college is that you should not have your student loans, a total amount, 
exceed what your expected first year of income is going to be out of, out of school, whether that's undergrad, whether that's law school, whatever it might be. Like if you go to law school and you expect to make 80,000 out of the shoot, then try to gauge it in there. I think that's a really good rule of thumb uh, as for the limits and people violate it all the time. Right. And that's why we have this whole crisis out there, but that's a good rule of thumb. I see it violated all the time on the mortgage side. I see people trying to qualify to buy a house and student loans are just such a major impact yep. for various reasons. But yeah, I, I was curious what the rule of thumb was. I had heard that before where the student loan amount needs to be less than or equal to the first year salary. So I was curious if you followed that as well. So that's very helpful. And, and you kind of touched on it and that was kind of jumping ahead to more the student as opposed to the parent. But going back to the parent, is there any sort of rule of thumb that you use when they're trying to determine how much should I really help out? Is it going to jeopardize more from my retirement plan savings as a parent versus putting money into my kid's account? What sort of conversations do you have? And is there an amount that you think of there? Or is it just so subjective for the client? Yeah, it's a good question. Real good question. And so I'll just paint a general brush over this. If you're coming in this situation, once again, it's of two situations. Some person that's maybe saved, right? And they have their money, the ones that haven't. Let's go to the latter first, right? If someone has come and their child's going to school and they've saved very little for the child's education, where they're considering taking loans and signing for their child, you're many times going to find that person has not saved very much for their own retirement as well, right? So these are just not good savers. So in those situations where there's not this other savings, if they're going to be taking a loan, honestly, I would probably go more towards what you were saying to say a half a year's salary, right? If you're making $100,000, maybe no more than $50,000, right? Because that, they're going to be living with that forever. Ideally, they're having the conversation about, hey, child, this is what college is costing. This is what it's, we're sacrificing for it. Let's look for some good public school options, right? Whether it's in a, get an associate degree at a community college or whatever it might be. All the financial problems are built when families and children make this decision to go to a college which they cannot afford, whether because of income, they didn't save. And that's really where parents have to step up and be parents to explain that and educate their children, uh, or else you're going to have these loans, like you're saying, when they go for their home and stuff, they're going to be there almost forever because there was no thought put into it. And that's where it becomes really problematic is at the universities, you just walk up and they give you the loan for nothing. There's no collateral. There's no asking about what you're going to, it's the system, the system should focus on the giving of the student loans more so than what happens later on and paying them back, right? There needs to be some system in place where people are not able to take too many loans that they're gonna realistically pay back. Right, yeah, I mean, it's crazy that everything else is regulated. You can't just take out a car loan. You can't just take out a mortgage loan without some sort of underwriting piece of it, but student loans are- Or collateral, right, together. What are you going to go, go to the bank and say, hey, listen, this is what the student loan is. Hey, I'd like a $500,000 loan, but there's no collateral. And I don't know what the collateral is going to be. Hey, will you give that to me? They'd laugh at you, right? Right. But that's what's happening every day. That's where the system is broken. Yeah. No, no, I agree. There definitely needs to be more checks and balances there and just more forethought just to see what are we getting into and is this going to be economical? Like you said, return on investment really comes into play in terms of what you're getting out of it. So. Yeah. We kind of jump 
beyond this, and we're jumping all over the place, which is great. But on the comparisons between prepaid plans, like you said, there's two different options. There's a public prepaid option, depending on the state. And then there's a private prepaid. What sort of conversations are you having in terms of the pros and the cons related to those? Where do you draw the line of saying, all right, a public prepaid plan is a better option than the 529 savings plan, for example? So I'll go back to, and I'll say where I start the discussion in is that what path do you feel you want to go to for your education, right? And I like to tell people, can we agree that whether you're private or public school educated, that the education is no different, right? It's whatever the person gets. Can we agree on that? Maybe let's start there. Now, once we agree on that, we say for other reasons of the whole entirety of the situation, you may want to go one path to the other. And that's wonderful, right? Maybe you believe for connections or environment, whatever it might be. And that's wonderful. And you should go down that route. So from a pure investment perspective, like what's the best bang for your dollar? Once again, this depends when you start savings for your child. So let's say you start right away. Your child's born and you're on top of it. You want to start. Okay. If you want the best return on your money over those 18 years, typically the historical numbers of a well-diversified portfolio will far outperform what the annual increase to a public university has increased. The numbers on them right in front of me, I believe the public university, maybe 67% annual increase. If you're in a diversified portfolio, 60% stocks, 40% bonds, you probably about 10 or 11% has been the average return, even taking into those bad years. So that's going to perform better, right? Now, that's one aspect of it. But if you want to say, listen, I believe in the public school route, I want to give and devote a certain amount of money towards that, a fixed amount, and I don't want to worry about it again. I don't want to worry about the stock market or anything like that. The prepaid is a great option for you, right? And you should do that. You educate your kids, say, we have the prepaid. This is what we're going to do. This is what we have paid. If you want to go to somewhere else, that's going to be additional financial obligation, which we may or may not be able to help you out with. And then you have the conversation about the student loans, right? They're trying to develop a plan there. That's the way to go. Now, conversely, if you believe more in the private, then you should start in the 529 investment, no question, right? And you want to be able to put as much as you can in there because you want the maximum amount of flexibility for your child to go to those schooling. Now, there is a concept of putting too much into a 529 plan because it's only tax-free and penalty-free if you use it for qualified education expenses. But that's really the focus should be. So that's why I like to have those discussions. It really, it really starts on which route you're going to go. Because the problem comes where if you bought the prepaid and then college comes and you decide to go private, that's the problem. Because the only way you're going to pay for that is the loans. So that's where you really have to understand and communicate that path to your children as they're applying to colleges and stuff like that. And that's going to give you a favorable outcome. Because that's the problem. When people haven't prepared and then they want to pay for something they can't afford. What are the outlets or the options for somebody that did the prepaid public option and they just can't use it for a public school? They either go out of state to a place that doesn't have prepaid programs or they do private or they just don't go to college at all. Are there options for the people that did the prepaid for situations like that? Yeah, they can roll it over to other family members, blood relatives. And if at the end of the day, they simply don't need it, the downside is they get back what they put in. There's no investment return to it. Now, what's interesting about that other one, that private 
prepaid college 529. In that situation, there is some return that is given to you. You can't use it and you want to take that money back. Uh, so that's an interesting uh, option there as well. But that's pretty much with the 529 prepaid, you can't use it, you get your money back. Is it just the 529 savings plan that falls under the new legislation to where you can convert it to a Roth after a certain number of years? Or is it prepaid plans? Does that also have a similar option or the private as well? Uh, no, the prepaid. So when you say 529, right, that's the tax code. And there's two sections of it for the savings and the prepaid. No, it does not apply to the prepaid plans. And it does apply to the savings ones. That's a very unique, it's a brand new rule that you point out there. And I've been talking a lot to clients about that, where we were concerned that maybe they put too much money into their 529 plans. Now, there's an option that if your child doesn't use all that and they go to a public school, which my son did, we're going to be able to roll that over into a Roth IRA for them when they come out and really give them a head start on that type of planning. And so that's brand new law and that's been coming out, but that is a great option if you put too much money into a 529 savings account. And that's helping people going back to the stipulation of, all right, maybe they don't go to college at all. What are your options? You have all this lump sum of money. You said you could obviously convert it and you can pull the money out and, and pay taxes on it. You don't get the tax benefit if you're not using it for college expenses, but this has given people another outlet where they can just convert it over to a Roth. Are you finding that a lot of people are getting more comfortable doing the 529 savings plan because of this, or has it really moved the needle that much for people? It's brand new. So I don't know that it's going to move the needle and make the decision but some people may say that when the child gets into college, I can see this happening a lot. Let's say they have a 529 account and child goes to a public school. I know here in Florida, to get into the University of Florida, for example, in my alma mater where my son is, you get a, a Bright Future scholarship, right? And you have that paid. And so we actually did a prepaid and a little bit of a 529 above and beyond that. So he's all paid. So what we say is that maybe you can use outside money to pay for that college and leave that money in there to give the child. Because imagine that, Adam, you put that money in there when the child, let's say, was one years old, it grew tax-free, you didn't use it, they get out of college, at the age 25, you roll that into a Roth IRA. Roth IRA grows tax-free as well, where there's no required distributions. You may have 70 plus years of tax-free growth. Just think about that, right? The power of compounding there. So there's lots of opportunities. So those those are discussions that we're having, especially to that particular instance, in light of that, which is really, really interesting. Well, and that's the big thing, because like I know some people are gravitating towards that idea of like, all right, maybe my kids don't want to go to college. Maybe they want to do something else. So they're worried that they don't want to contribute to a college savings plan if it's not going to be used. But that gives them some outlets to make it so that you're not penalized at all if you go that route. So yeah, so no, that's good. I'm glad they changed that rule, at least. So that's helpful. Yeah, yeah. And then once again, that's their concern, right? Just doing a different account, whether you're a retirement savings account or a, a non-qualified account. Uh, there's also some really cool programs out there that are like kind of these gap year programs that are really neat that you can use 529 funds for as well. So there's a lot of different options. But yeah, it, it just goes to the point, the 529 should not be the sole exclusive tool. There's multiple tools. We spoke on financial aid and like scholarships as well. Do you have any tips or strategies on maximizing that financial aid beyond what we talked about where sometimes it's just not really in the cards if your income level is too high? Is there anything that parents can really do to put themselves in a better position for that, for their kids? 
Yeah, there's not much you can do on the income side, right? If you contribute to your own retirement account, that lowers your income for a little bit. But there's really, if you make too much income, there's not much you can do. And, and I'll go to an early point we made about a life insurance, and this is how it gets sold in the sense that because the cash value in life insurance is not counted towards the calculations for financial aid purposes, right? And that's many times how that gets sold. But once again, if you have too high income, you're not going to qualify anyway. So really for financial aid, it's all needs-based, right? If you have lower income, you should contribute to your retirement account. Don't put assets into your child's name, right? And go through that FAFSA form and calculation and figure that out. As far as scholarships go, scholarships are not needs-based. They're merit-based. And that's a whole different conversation. That's a conversation about the school and whether they want you. And so they're going to make that choice on that. They may re reduce your overall payment to get you in there. So yeah, scholarships are really a non-financial aspect. Now, there is the recommendation that many people will not want to fill out FAFSA forms because they're like, hey, it's going to be used against me because I don't qualify. Some scholarships, though, do require you to fill that out to see whether you qualify or not. So typically, the advice would be there's no harm in doing it. And there can only be a benefit if you don't qualify for needs-based. So be it. Hopefully, you have planned accordingly, right? Which is what we're talking about here for anything. When you start doing that, make sure you have the proper savings, the route you have chosen to go down, that you're following that route, right? But yeah, no, scholarships, there's not much planning involved. Right. Well, no, no, this has been a ton of helpful information. I appreciate you going through all that. Is there anything that we didn't touch on that you had any final thoughts, any advice that you would give for a parent going down this route? Yeah, I mean, my biggest advice, having gone through it personally and seen it all the time, is it really requires, once you start the college process, to really sit down and tell your children, this is what we have saved, this is what we have prepared for, this is what we can afford, right? So that when they're going through the application and everything, they have understand that, and you've had those difficult conversations to start with. Because your child might get into an Ivy League school, but if you haven't prepared for it, and you can't afford that $80,000 a year, it's going to be a rude awakening or they're really going to saddle themselves up for a financial challenge for many, many years after that. So have this conversation, let your children know what you have saved, what you've been thinking and have those conversations along the road, because if they do choose to go to a school and take more loans out, just make sure they understand what the impact of that is, because they don't understand what it means to take $100,000 of loans. They don't understand what it means to run a budget many times to have an income. So that's where you really have to step up and really parent and not just sit back and say, oh, but my child worked so hard and this is their dream school. That just makes my skin crawl when I hear that, because it means they're justifying a very poor financial decision that the parent doesn't have to pay for. It's the child that's going to have to pay for it. So that's my recommendation. Well, perfect. No, I agree. I think that's great advice. Well, if anybody wanted to learn more about the services that you offer, and just so people know, you're a certified financial planner, you do the whole comprehensive financial plan, investment management, helping with tax planning, estate planning, all that stuff, you do it all. So if anybody wants to learn more about you and get more information, what's the best way to look you up? Yeah, meritedwealth.com is our website. We have a LinkedIn. We're active on LinkedIn. We're active on Facebook. We have a podcast. Actually, this is perfect timing. We're doing a podcast on college planning through my podcast. And our first one drops today on this exact topic. We're out there. They want to reach out and, and set up a call. I'm, I'm always happy to sit down and give 10, 15 minutes to those looking for advice. I enjoy that. Well, perfect. Well, Steve, it's been a pleasure. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you, Adam. All right, thanks.